Hi, everyone. This is Jeff Epstein, and this is People Conversations. And today I am talking with two friends um, uh, from the, the Bernie Sanders campaign. Um, um, first, we have John Lawrence, who is the blogger uh, who wrote a lot about math-related things and uh, kept hope alive for, for a few months there. And we are also talking with um, Kitty Snyder from Philadelphia, who was a super volunteer and uh, uh, we were both she and I were both Bernie delegates, uh, and she's also very heavily involved in the academic study of the email investigation, Hillary Clinton's email investigation. She's administrator of a big group on Facebook. Um, and all three of us are at the DNC um, and have been in touch for quite a while. So, hi, guys. Hello. Hello. <laughs> All right, so I brought you both on today because uh, there is a subject that is really concerning me, and you both seem to be uh, have either written about it yourselves or thought about it yourselves. Um, and uh, so I thought I thought it might be interesting to have uh, a conversation to see what the next four years bring brings to us as far as being progressives um, who are very unhappy with what's expected in the next four years um, and getting out there and protesting and doing what we need to do to express ourselves to survive this next four years, but without doing it in a way that causes undue conflict. Um, so, uh, Well, I mean, <laughs> part of that, like, Part of that is that we we really need to be focusing on building grassroots coalitions and making sure that all the people who got woken up by this election cycle don't go back to being numb and ignoring what's going on because they're unhappy with it. So, like, for example, there's some common ground between Trump's grassroots and Bernie's grassroots, and income inequality goes to the heart of that common ground. And there's no reason that we can't work together to try to force the <laughs> Trump administration to actually follow through on the campaign promises to the middle class. I'm surprised, I'm surprised that you say income inequality. I, I, I don't disagree, but I, I would have worded it as the system is broken. Yes. Well, <laughs> that's pretty expansive. And I feel like a lot of the, yeah, no, I mean, the system is broken. You could say it that way, too. <laughs> but I guess I guess income inequality is sort of where it comes from. Money yeah. and politics. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, campaign finance reform, that's another um, source of common ground. That, that's a big one. Like, nothing's actually going to change until we, uh, you know, have publicly financed elections where big donors aren't having a disproportionate say in who we end up hearing about. Well, I, I do think it's going to change in the wrong way, like dramatically so, both campaign finance and voters' rights, and which is uh, one of the biggest fears, um, you know. So do we end up with only four years of him, or are we, you know, is he creating an atmosphere where people, like where he or people like him, you know, can just keep going. 
Well, um, I feel like I feel like a lot of the, the only way we can answer those questions depends on the actions of the folks running the political establishment right now, and that's a lot of unknowns. Like, are the Democrats going to learn from this election, or are they just going to stick their heads in the ground and uh, continue as they've been? Yeah, they don't seem to be learning so far. <laughs> yep. They seem to be pointing a lot of blame. They, they, they seem to be only pointing blame. They don't seem to be doing any introspection. Um, you know, not, not, not shockingly, but uh, they seem to be pointing blame on, on anything and anything and everything. James Comey, people who voted for Jill Stein, um, you know, racism, did you, sexism. Did you see Times uh, Times Magazine's uh, new article? I don't know if it was yesterday, but I but I saw it yesterday, and it was uh, it was a, a, it was an article that specifically heaped like all the blame on uh, on on Bernie Sanders. It, uh, I, I believe the article was titled. Uh, it Did it invoke the ghost of now Ralph, Ralph Nader? Nader of the Year Award goes to Bernie Sanders, is what the article is titled. What was that, really? <laughs> Um Yeah, so there there have been, like, a, a number of articles that are along the same lines where they're willing to point the blame at pretty much anybody but themselves when all they really need is a mirror in order to figure out what went wrong. Um, and, and that's, like, you get a lot of pushback online when you're kind of like, you know, we've been telling you this stuff for months and months and months. Here's all the evidence that we've been telling you this for months and you just didn't listen. And, and a lot of Hillary supporters are like, why, why are you rubbing our faces in it? Like, we need to move forward and blah, blah, blah. The, yeah, forget, forget the reason all the why we need forget to the rub their faces in it is because they need to learn. Yeah, we spent 10 months humiliating <laughs> and minimizing and, and gaslighting you, but now let's move forward. Um, <laughs> now that it turns out that everything you were saying was completely right. Well, you know, I, I actually do think that you could argue that Bernie Sanders was responsible for Trump's win, but... It's like the choice between we are woke, we are now, you know, woke people. I don't know the more, you know, the less colloquial way of saying that. But we, we are now, like, aware of what the world is like. And now we have Trump. So the alternative is we would still be asleep. We would still be, I forget what you, how you worded it a moment ago, Kitty, um, but falling asleep again. But we would have Hillary Clinton and not be in this pit. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I've had so many folks who just sat on the sidelines the, the entire election process, um, <laughs> who who have come up to me and asked me, "What can I do? I I don't know what to do, but I need to do something." Where they're willing to devote time to something other than, you know, Trump being president. It's a little bit too late. Like, imagine <laughs> if all the folks showing up for these protest marches in the major cities had, you know, canvassed instead. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. 
Um, yeah, the people are saying hindsight is twenty twenty, referring to the year that you know we might actually get the president that we want. Uh, so, John, you are—I don't know exactly your role, but you're somehow involved in inauguration. So you're involved um, in ra- yeah. ra- a rather large protest that will explicitly be uh, not just a protest of progressives, but a protest that is among Trump supporters. You'll you'll be directly uh, interacting with Trump supporters while you do that, and that and that yeah. was one of the things that got me started on. Uh, thinking about this whole concept yeah um that is to, just to be totally clear I, I don't speak for occupy inauguration or anything like that but uh, but i am i am a part of the planning process over there and um yeah i mean uh it's been so um occupy inauguration was planned before like like way before the actual election it was it was planned with the kind of the idea that Whoever gets elected, like we're gonna protest. <laughs> like whoever gets elected, it's it's uh, probably not gonna be good for the 99 percent. And uh, now most of the people in there were thinking that Clinton was gonna get elected, and so I think that that's the way they planned a lot of things. Um, but now that Trump is elected, there's there seems to be. Anyways, I, I think I think it's a it's an ongoing conversation at the moment, and and personally, I'm I'm kind of trying to advocate for this not being a uh, a specifically anti-Trump uh, kind of event. Now, uh, and and that's not how the event has been framed so far. Um, but uh, but we have been there's been a lot of. Uh, People seem to see it that way, though. Like, so when when we kind of went public and started pushing the, you know, see you in D.C. hashtag and Occupy Inauguration and everything, a lot of people took it as um, it was anti-Trump. And that was something that I actually didn't expect. And then and then when it happens, oh, well, it's obvious. So, uh, but, uh, but, yeah, I, I don't think it's... I think that it'll be better for <laughs> for the movement to not alienate Trump supporters. Now, like, of course, yes. I think that I think that we're we're going to have to, you know, uh, struggle against uh, certain policies uh, <laughs> of Trump's. Like, I think that there's going to be a quite the battle over the next four years. But but that being said, there's also things that I think we can work together on and it would be stupid to uh it would just be stupid to not work together on the things we can work together like opposing trade the these you know free trade deals um and uh and and you know what they call draining the swamp or sort of attacking corruption lobbyists and all that in washington so that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of my role there (laughs) and that's why i'm here (laughs) so has has the planning changed uh, specifically in the past couple in the past week, or not, um, not the planning, but has has the has the plans have the plans changed specifically in the past week? And the, the the basic plan I think remains the same as it always was, which is to try to uh, kind of bring together a mass rally um, at the inauguration, which, like I said, was planned before anyone was elected. So I mean, we would have also been doing this if Clinton had been elected. Um, 
And uh, there is a, and there's a, a, a meme, like a picture with it, with the demands in my article on Occupy inauguration. But so I think that the the main kind of event is that there is that we'll be bringing a list of demands that's been endorsed by like a broad range of sort of like grassroots coalitions. Uh, Jill Stein actually just endorsed Occupy inauguration. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and, and then on the steering committee, I mean, there's people from there's people from Occupy, there's people from Progressive Independent Party, there's people from uh, uh, the Green Party, um, Equality Coalition. Uh, too many to name. <laughs> I don't have a list in front of me. But, um, but yeah, it, it's a lot of different people who have agreed on the sort of, yeah, that we're demanding that PPP be scrapped. Um, Which we <laughs> we're, level it. Luckily, we're also making a... At least, at least temporarily, it's, they say it's dead, which is wonderful news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I've heard. So, what are the <laughs> other ones? Keep an eye on it. Um, I know, like a, an, another big one, I think, is that uh, this is also a chance for kind of like a, a lot of people to stand up together and say, like, you know, so this is at the inauguration. You know, nothing's happened yet, but to say we're not going to tolerate, you know, um, anything that's leading to attacks on, you know, marginalized people in our communities and all that. So sort of this is part of our demands, you know, um, and and we're not going to so, be tolerating that sort well, of thing. Actually, we want you to so represent is, everybody. Is there like an educational element to that where you're kind of pointing out, okay, so these are the populations which have been scapegoated. Here's the actual cause of, you know, Hold, hold on. Be, be, before you answer that question, I do want to hear the answer to that question, but I want to hear the rest of the demands because I don't think it's a very long list. So, like, no TPP. I believe the, 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 North, the, the Dakota Access Pipeline is another one. Is that right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Dapple's a part of it. Let me um, – if, if you give me a moment, I'll, I'll actually I'll pull up the actual demands there. Right? I got it on my computer, so um, – so um, what was your question, Kitty? Um, is there going to be an educational component to this protest, or are we just preaching to the choir? For um, well, the, um, I, th- I think that that's what like that's part of what remains to be seen, and and I would like to see this turn into something like where you know, like progressives and and, and all. These folks can come, like, not in a, yeah, um, I guess I, I would like to see dialogue between, you know, Trump supporters and Sanders supporters and everyone else who wants to participate. And so, yeah, I, I, would, I would like there to be an educational aspect. Um, you know, sure I, I feel like that might have to be uh, perhaps, you know, organized at the same time, but maybe not within the context of a protest because everyone's going to be feeling defensive in that context. Yeah. Okay, so um, I, I, got the, uh, I got the list of demands pulled up now. Do so you guys want me to please rattle them off? Okay, so um, now, that, now this is all fluid and it can be changed. Um, but uh, so regardless of who is elected president, we call on them to act on these demands. Um, the one, scrap the TPP. Um, the other one, uh, so there's a pass federal $15 minimum wage. Um, 
education reform, student debt reform. Um, also, an amendment to abolish uh, constitutional rights for corporations, um, Citizens United, uh, Medicare for all, um, investment in uh, in renewable energy and in our infrastructure to create jobs, um, and uh, uh, an end to institutionalized racism, police brutality, <laughs> federal funding for the militarization of police. Um, and ending the racist war on drugs, um, protecting the rights of immigrants, LGBTQ people, women, um, and our African American and indigenous communities, halting all construction on DAPL, um, honoring the treaty rights of all indigenous um, nations, and then an ending to war. <laughs> Uh, and an end of the surveillance state. So, so we're aiming pretty high here. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Kitty, I don't know if this is you or not, but I hear a lot of, like, sounds from your phone, I think. Hold on. All right. That should stop now. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So I want to ask, you know, obviously I don't have any arguments with any of those things, but mm-hmm. the, I want to bring up the one example. Like, you, you created... You created these demands before. You didn't create them after Trump was elected. I believe that's true. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. These were these were existing in there in this form before anyone was elected. Yeah. Okay. So, so no, da- no DAPL, the, the North Dakota pipeline, the Dakota Access pipeline, is important to all of us. But part of me feels like that has suddenly become so much less of a priority given the the enormity of uh, things that we don't agree with, to say the least, because he has, he has openly declared that, you know, oil and gas companies can do whatever they like, whatever they like. So do, should our priorities not, I mean, not that, not that this is not an important issue, but now all of a sudden the amount of issues that we need to fight has gone up orders of magnitude. And do we need to prioritize things differently? Do we let go of, of any of these issues knowing that he is so openly allowing like oil and gas companies to do whatever they like? He's clearly going to let that happen. So do we change our focus do we do we let go of issues that are really important to us because there's just so many issues that we have to fight? Like, do does that list need to change at all? Um, I mean, I think that uh, I mean th- this list I think represents uh, what the people who are like involved in these coalitions. Uh, this is their list, you know. So, like, I, I don't think it's the place of uh, of any leader at all, you know, to make a top-down decision and decide like what the priorities are, you know. Um, well, I guess the, so, the clearer question is: Should Trump people be brought in to, you know, think of that list? And obviously, this is not their protest, so it's part of the answer. Yeah. It's obvious, but you know, they they clearly would not agree with some of this list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clearly, I mean, I, I think that there's there's some things that I you know that I think that we can obviously work on, like uh, 
again, like scrapping the TPP, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any conflict there. Um, and then, and I think there, there may even be, uh, there, like there may even be uh, some, some overlap in like the opposition to like the war on drugs and, and, the, and that kind of different stuff um, with Trump supporters. But yeah, um, obviously this list isn't, uh, isn't going to resonate <laughs> with, uh, with a lot of Trump supporters. Um, however, like I said, I, I, I don't think that it's for, um, I don't think that anyone should be making any, any kind of like top-down decisions about like what kind of to prioritize. Like I think ultimately is like we really need to be following the people's lead, you know, on that. Um, that being said, I do think that those of us who feel inclined, like I, I, I'm going to, and I'm encouraging others to, to actively kind of engage in outreach to Trump supporters on the issues that we can work together on. And it's my hope that, you know, if we are able to learn how to cooperate, that, uh, that I don't who knows, maybe that'll lead to uh, more understanding between us and maybe that list of things we can work on together will grow. Yeah, and, and there are like... <clears throat> Something that I should probably sit down uh, just looking at that list that you read off. Um, there are ways of describing um, certain parts of that initiative, like for example, the war on drugs. Like a lot of a lot of the kind of xenophobia comes from seeing you know violence associated with the war on drugs. If you just and the war on drugs, then Mexico ends up being a lot safer after a while because we're not having so much trafficking going on. There are ways in which our issues end up dovetailing with um, their issues in, in often quite elegant ways, but you, you have to be able to see it from their perspective to understand how to... Um, explain it in a way that, you know, makes sense with their priorities. So the, the, the North Dakota pipeline, in, on, in one sense, it might, make, it might make sense to continue to protest something, even though it is obvious that Trump is not going to be fighting for us, which is an understatement. He's going to be doing the opposite. But to document what actually happens, to document the difficult negative things that happen there, such as being uh, further brutalized by police and then finally being affected by uh, the pipeline itself and by the natural gas itself. It's a lot of, it's a lot of you know, torture to document, basically, or four years of being treated badly, but I guess that's part of what it's about. Um, Kitty, if, if I could ask you, you wrote an article, um, I forget the exact title, but basically we need to show Trump people the love Bernie, Bernie people, we need to show Trump people love. Um, so, well, ra like, you know, contrasting that with just, like, <sighs> regarding them with anger and disgust and, and like, th that accomplishes nothing and it... Oh, it accomplishes further. <laughs> it ain't neutral. Well, true, but... When you react to people that way, they it, it puts them on the defensive side. They feel like they're being attacked. You're not going to have any kind of a constructive conversation, and it's and it's this whole thing of getting you know the working class and the poor to fight with each other while you know the one percenters you know make make off with a stealing. 
So, Word. like, I, I, tr- I really try to focus on the common ground that we have with, you know, more right, the more right wing among us. Because in my experience, once you go out into the actual world and you talk to people who, you know, fall under these rubrics, like, for the most part, they're quite intelligent. Like, you can have a totally normal conversations with them if you're not starting from this place of, like, you stand for everything that I don't stand for. Like, we share, am I we share, sense? We share in our suffering. And if we can let go of all the layers that we put on top of it. Well, I'm not saying let go of anything. Like, there are differences, and we have different priorities. But don't let that define the relationship. Let the commonalities define your relationship with people. Right. Well said. So how do we so how do we start doing that? So how I mean, you know, we can't just you know, I wanna say I wanna say that Trump people are in charge. And maybe that's not quite accurate, but but you know, in a way that that's in a way that's true. I, I wouldn't say put, they're in charge. I'd say that they had a voice for the first time in a while. Okay, so they have a very big voice. Okay, fair enough. Well, just for this election, I don't know how much of a voice they'll be given now. <laughs> well, Certainly the media hasn't given them much of a voice this entire election cycle in the same way that we yeah. weren't given a voice. Well, I wonder, I wonder how um, you know, tra- Trump has said drain the swamp. Yet now he's, I mean, he, he actually, I was studying this. He says, drain the swamp. He has his five things that he wants to propose for anti-corruption. Uh, and he said, he, uh, you know, he rails against lobbyists and special interests. And now he is, Hiring now that lobbyists. he, now that he's in the swamp on his 60 minute interview, 60 minutes interview on uh, Friday, he said, well, that's all there are. There are only lobbyists down here. Everyone's a lobbyist. All of a sudden, now that he's in the swamp, he's forgotten that there's anyone outside of the swamp. And now he's, he's legally obligated to use those people in the swamp. So he's starting off his entire administration in exactly the opposite way that he promised. Right. And, 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 and his, I feel and his, like we really need to reach out to the Trump people and be like, hey, he's, he's not doing what? He said he'd do. Uh, maybe we should, you know, act out a little and make sure, like, hold his feet to the fire so that he can't renege on, on his campaign promises, the ones that you really care yeah. about. Because a lot yeah, of people just overlooked the racism and sexism, but what they really wanted was somebody who would enact change. That's, like, all that... Like, if you completely bring it down to a really simple level, that's ultimately what the difference was and what what drove that vote. Because people are suffering and they just need things to change. And whoever can promise that gets their vote. And that's going to keep happening until things actually change. (laughs) How many change elections have we had in a row now? So where do we go from here? What what do you actually expect happening? What what are you guys further doing to 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 address this? Well, I I really wanted to train people how to talk to you know the same folks who tended to vote for Trump 
but everybody exists in a bubble and they live in a bubble in their neighborhoods and um like cities are just islands of liberals and then there's just all these people in between who don't get any of those conversations so i'm trying to grapple with how to get around that since also you know internet usage is something of a generational gap and these conversations work far better in person and it's like maybe people just need to be having conversations around their Thanksgiving table because that's the only time we'll get a chance to cross so many lines. Right. So I went to the uh, the silly protest, Trump protest yesterday. Was it yesterday? Mm-hmm. Two days ago. And I didn't go to protest. I went to interview people Document. about this. I want to interview people about this subject, about, you know, we're protesting as progressives, and it turned out there was a, a significant number of Hillary people there. It was just anti-Trump. It wasn't, it wasn't progressive. It was just anti-Trump. And I, I was asking people the whole time, you know, all these questions is, how do we do this but stay safe? How do we express ourselves but consider the fact that what we're doing might be taken personally? What, you know, how do we balance this? How do we survive this next couple of years? And two people said to me, one person said that, I said, what would you say to the Trump voters? I said, what, what would you tell the Trump supporters? The people, the people who genuinely think Trump is going to be a good president or, you know, that, that he was the best choice for them. They, that was their voting, their conscience was choosing Trump. And one person said, uh, I would tell them that uh, I'm personally insulted. And then another person said, what would you say to them? And she said, I would try and educate them on how misguided they are. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, this is just exactly the opposite of what we need to do. You know, people are there that it's, it's telling that the other side that they're doing the wrong thing and it's our job to educate them. And that's just people are, I think, really profoundly are, condescending for the first, like, yeah, like both sides have things to learn from each other it's not like somebody knows everything and you just have to bring the ignorant up like folks out in the rural communities they know stuff too and a lot of them see through a lot of bullshit like i i grew up in a very rural area so i i guess that's part of why i'm I feel it's so important to talk to city folks about the part of America they're missing because <sighs> it's it's such a significant cultural divide and it's so frustrating because there there are commonalities and like, we should we should be focusing on the common ground so that we can actually enact that change rather than just focusing on the stuff that we disagree on, which is what we've been doing for, uh, as far as I can tell, my entire life. <laughs> yeah. We've really... Go ahead, Don. Oh, um, I was going to say, uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I think that I could totally agree with what Kitty just said. And uh, that... The, the, the media, especially at the moment, too. And, and I mean, it's just yeah. This has been our entire lives, and I mean, as far as I know, I mean, the whole modern history of our country, really. I mean, it's just there. There's been the the red blue divide, and and uh, I think that they they really seem like they want to keep it that way. Like like I 
and I, I've met Trump supporters. Um, I, I've never met a Trump supporter that was voting for Trump for specifically racist reasons. Like it's it's a uh, it's a vocal it, it's minority. Just, that's a, that's an oversimplification of like what. It's just like yeah, like the, there are kind of some scary elements of society that have been kind of stirred up by this election. But like to just paint the vast majority of Trump supporters with this broad brush of like, well, you're all kind of ignorant and racist, and, and we're going to explain to you, you know, we're going to explain to you what the what the truth about all of this is. Um, it's just it's yeah. not that that's not helpful. It's not it's not helpful at all. And it. It's not going to change anything. If you want this country to be less racist, then you need to spend some time figuring out why people become racist. Yeah, Trump didn't invent racism. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. (laughs) And it's not just because, you know, certain communities are more isolated from other communities. Uh, It's so complex, and it's got this huge history behind it, and it's kind of... uh, Almost the the way we do it in America is is kind of almost a little special, because yeah. yeah. you know our history. I think um, it, 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 this all all of this stuff is what you were just saying, Kitty. Is if you don't try and understand a racist, someone that happens to be racist, then you're never going to get anywhere. And what it is is no different than saying Black Lives Matter is, you know, labeling Black Lives Matter as violent or, you know, that that going on your knee is horrible. And it's all protesting the protest. It's all, instead of trying to understand their motivations and their history and their suffering, it's all just saying, I can't believe, you know, the way that they're expressing their anger. And even, even, even if, so instead of focusing on their suffering and their history and their motivation, you're just like, ah, the way that they express their anger, I don't have to even listen to them. Uh, you know, that gives me an excuse to not have to, to, to discover any of that stuff. And even yeah. if the person who is protesting you hurts you, physically hurts you, insults you, you know, damages the planet, it's, it's no different. It's just harder to get your mind around, but it's no different. If we protest the protest, if we... You know, label those rate that people. The, the I would I would hope few Trump supporters that are racist. You know, we're never going to get anywhere. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, and it it seems like we need to be focusing on the commonalities. Like you want to be able to feed your family, you want to be able to see your kids, you want to be able to yeah. take care of the people that you care about when they get sick. Like you. As as a parent, don't want to see any harm come to your child. Like these are things that everybody can agree about. Like why aren't we having conversations centered around the commonalities? And I think the media is culpable for this. Like they yeah. had a choice of two candidates who were anti-establishment, and they covered one pretty much 24-7, and they ignored the other one. Guess which one they gave the 24-7 coverage to? <laughs> like, yeah. the, 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 the media ha- is, has so much responsibility for this, and, and the, the gall to say that, you know, how could this happen to our country? They did it to this country. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like 
the number of people I've run into who don't really follow politics, but who are like, I like Trump and I like Sanders. Everybody else, screw them. Like, and you tell that to, you know, folks who are kind of isolated in their liberal communities, and they're like, but there's nothing in common. How could, how is that even possible? They're the only ones talking about how screwed up the system is and meaning it, or at least coming off as meaning it. <sighs> yeah, I, I get frustrated. Yeah. Group think is really dangerous. What, what's really dangerous? I'm sorry. Group think. Like what oh, the okay. yeah. was doing. Yeah. Group dynamics. Yeah. Group yeah. dynamics. Yeah. yeah, it's. It, I, I think the most concerning thing to me at, at, at like this moment now is that. Uh, and I mean, I, I spent the entire like I mean since April, I've, I've been writing article after article after article, predominantly to kind of fight the the media narratives that were like emerging that were clearly, you know, DNC propaganda, as we now see with the Podesta emails and everything, you know, they were they were talking the whole time <laughs> amongst themselves and deciding what to report. But they're, I think that what's important to remember right now is, is that they're still doing it. Like, the media is not, they're not repentant. Yeah, they're, they're not. <laughs> there was like the, a 36-hour period where they were so shocked and they were just like, oh, Shoot, did we really mm-hmm. screw up? And then after that 36-hour period uh, passed, and they're all, all, you know, back to uh, normal. Like, oh, uh, well, I guess uh, we're, we're, we're not going to be the ones suffering. We're not going to be the ones suffering for for our our mess up. So, oh well. Exactly. Like that's when. Like, remember that photo that emerged the day after the election of Hillary hiking with a donor's daughter in no, Chappaqua? Yeah. Well, she looks so happy in the picture, and I just saw that smile, and I was like, wow, you have no idea what you just did to this country in the name of your ego. She'll get a big book book deal out of it. Um, um, I think that, like, uh, one of the dangers here, though, is that the media, they're still, like, it's like they're purposefully trying to drive a wedge between between like progressives and, and any liberals that that might be actually you know kind of open to, to, to working with Trump supporters towards those goals that we do have in common. Um, oh yeah, the I, whole like don't the, uh, yeah. this thing. I don't want to get too like tin hat or anything, but uh, but it seems or tin foil hat. I, I just uh, it just it seems like the media is that they really don't want us to to, to, to get into a dialogue here. I think. They really well, yeah. don't want I mean, every time the media has trumpeters. chosen the divisive narrative over the, you mm. know, one filled with solidarity, every single time they have a choice between the two, they go with the divisive one. It's yeah. not a coincidence. <laughs> About sums it up. And, see, and, and, and right now I think it's more important than ever for people to kind of step up and contradict this narrative, you know, this narrative that all Trump supporters are just these ignorant, racist, uh, you know, hillbillies. Like, like, no, like, Trump did not get into the White House because, <laughs> because you know, 60 million racist hillbillies came out of nowhere, you know? Like, no, I mean, there's there's a lot of people who voted for this guy, and it's it's not going to further the dialogue at all. 30% of <laughs> Yeah, and, and so the, yeah, there's a lot of Latinos even voted for oh, Trump. Oh. Yeah. So it's, uh, 
Yeah, it's just, we need to fight this kind of oversimplification, this dehumanization of, of Trump supporters if we're going to have dialogue, if we're going to have any kind of solidarity <laughs> at all. Okay, so... so yeah, three, and, the, and I actually fault myself a little bit for not um, trying to defend them more earlier, like before, you know, he won the election, because they've been doing this to them as long as they've been gaslighting Bernie supporters, like they've been up against the same media wall. Well, you know, I have, I have to say even, even, uh, Cenk Uger, I, I don't like the way that he speaks, like, you know, loser Donald. It's even, no, long ago he started his loser Donald segment and the points of what he's saying is fine, but labeling him as loser Donald, it, it's just not respectful. And now he's our president. <laughs> You know, and that that was, that was a big gamble. That was a big gamble on his part, and I and I think I I, I think it's tremendously important to make a distinction between the like the person and their supporters, because I can I can loathe Donald Trump, but I completely respect <laughs> his supporters, and there's a big difference between the two. And well, I don't know. I think distinction to make. Well, I mean, I, I understand that, but. As someone who likes Donald Trump, I would think that that person might take that personally. Oh, what I like is loathsome, you know. But let me, let me, I'm going to ask. So, all right, so now we have three Bernie people that have spoken a lot about Trump supporters. So how do we actually start talking with Trump supporters? We obviously need to start creating relationships, getting involved or whatever it is, asking them to be involved you know, what, what do we do? How do we go from here to actually start this? You know, I, I wrote a letter, as you both know, I wrote a letter to the big um, Reddit group. I haven't heard back the yet. Donald. Yeah. yeah, Reddit, uh, the underscore Donald. Um, Kitty, you said you might have a lead to someone. Um, yeah, he hasn't responded yet. Right. So I, I would like to personally get more aggressive in actually trying to communicate with them. I mean, I, you know, I was, I'm looking on their, on their Reddit board, and it's a different world. It, it is a different world. I sent you guys a couple of links, and, you know, there's a lot of strong language um, that we, that on the Sanders for President, it's just, you know, we were a much softer language, and, um, you know, one of their posts is, you know, we love the faggots, and I know that it's an internal dialogue. I don't think that they would speak so openly in public like that. But there's Depends there's a whole the company. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, genuinely, they they we love the faggots is what they is you know that that Trump is not anti-gay. So you know the the the, uh, the 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 point is is a good thing, but the way that they say it is a very strong way that we can't at least I it's have a hard time relating to. You know, it's it's this being tough, saying you know basically screaming in someone's face you're okay. Meanwhile, they're standing there in fear <laughs> because of the way that you're talking to them, you know? So it's like we have this whole language to get up. They have all these terms like MAGA and uh, CUCK, C-U-C-K, which I think is negative, and some other stuff. It, oh, my God. Yeah. It, uh, it, really, it really is. It, 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 lots, of, lots of all caps, and it's just a different world. And, well, that, that, you know, that's just, you know, culture. Humans love having distinct cultures.
cultures. <laughs> That's a thing that our species tends to do. It's not at all surprising, especially when, um, like, <laughs> culture becomes so important when you feel like your group is being threatened. And you, you felt this with the Bernie movement. Like, when you're in a room full of burners, you feel like, ah, oh, my extended family, we're all cool. And, and it creates this sense of solidarity and, you know, it, it, it makes sense. Is all I'm saying. That's a fair point. Um, one but other thing. Uh, just one thing I will mention is that, like, um, I I've never had luck talking to um, Trump supporters online so much. I, I, okay, I just don't even bother trying just because hmm. it's online and that doesn't really work. My but having conversations with them in person, where you're face to face, that works. Where do you so go? Any, any, <laughs> you gotta find a, you, gotta find you walk around. <laughs> you go places where there are people, and then you talk to strangers. It's How do you communicate? Oh, wait, wait. Guys. So you have to leave your house, is what you're saying? Yeah, you have to leave your house <laughs> and put away the computer. <laughs> That's the, the only way this works. Oh, I, so many people just like were like, "All right, nope, <laughs> not doing." Well, we didn't realize we had to leave the house. Yeah, well, that changes everything. No, you guys are. You guys are. They're your neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Like, actually, if we you know, start actually talking to each other face to face again. That that's gonna change things. Actually, I, I actually take a keto. I just started. I'm horrible at it so far, but a oh, lot. Keto? Cool. Yeah. And it, it, I'm, I, lo- I really like it, but it's a very challenging situation from a couple points of view. One, one, just, you know, huge social situations where people already are like the big fraternity and they get along so well. That's hard for me. But, but the point for this conversation is that most of them, I don't know, at least more than half of them are Trump supporters. So I'm going to start more aggressively talking to them. Wait, Where? My Aikido dojo, my the place where I oh, take Aikido. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Japanese martial art. Yeah. It's yeah, a, no. it's we a martial all art. We know a few Trump supporters. They probably don't talk to you about it because you know they're <laughs> they're Trump supporters, but they're there and you can talk to them. Like find them in the little niches in your life. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys. Any closing thoughts? Where do we go from here? Uh, That's all I got for now. <laughs> um, everybody, stop watching TV. <laughs> yeah, we, we gotta like quit buying into these sort of, like dehumanizing narratives about each other. Like whether it's about Trump supporters, or, you know, all being ignorant and racist, or, or, or burners all being a bunch of you know sexist uh, basement dwelling, you know. Bernie Bros. Uh, yeah, yeah, Bernie Bros. Yeah, I am <laughs> such a big Bernie uh, Bro. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's <laughs> that's like key here is that we have to, but not just like a couple people, but we all have to kind of somehow collectively reject these these broad generalizations that the media is thrusting upon us right now in order for dialogue to happen. And then yeah, get outside and <laughs> talk people face to face.
That's where it's at, guys. Well, I I wish your protests occupy inauguration the best of luck. Stay safe. Me too. And uh, um, this is the beginning of something, you know, really big. So uh, to thank you, both of you guys, not knowing each other, just jumping into a conversation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hey, John. What's up? I got an idea. What about, like, Berner-Trump speed dating conversations, where it's not actually dating, oh, it's some kind of set up, yeah. where it's like, talk to your Trump supporter for a little bit and see what common ground you can have, just as, like, a exercise to see people to do it. Yeah, just, like, have the prompt design an app or find what you agree about. And it'll be moderated by Hillary supporters? Oh, God, no. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll have referees from both sides. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, sounds yeah. good to me. <laughs> hey, Our, I, I, think, I think I might be onto something there. <laughs> yeah. Guys, thank you both so much. I will talk to All both right. of you online. And, uh, 